Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. I tried this recently after hearing about it on another podcast, and since then, I've stocked up on boxes and boxes of this and usually use it one to two times per day. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks. As a coach or an athlete, you will not find a better product that focuses on the essential electrolytes your body needs during competition. Element has become a staple in my own training and something we are excited to offer our coaches and student athletes as well. Element is used by military special forces teams, Team USA Weightlifting, at least five NFL teams, and more than half the NBA. You can try it risk-free. If you don't like it, Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. They have extremely low return rates. Element came up with a very special offer for you as a listener to this podcast. For a limited time, you can claim a free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. For U.S. customers, this means that you can receive an eight-count sample pack for only $5. Simply go to drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. That's drinklmnt.com slash justinclimo to claim your free eight-count sample pack. Drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. Elroy's Fine Foods, the Uncommon Market. A revival of the community market, promising you an uncommon shopping experience and the finest of groceries and prepared foods. When Chloe and I first envisioned what Elroy's Fine Foods would become, we wanted to build a market that was focused on building community. A beautiful store that not only sells incredible foods, but also prioritizes environmental and social responsibility, and provides the community with a safe space to shop, eat, and hang out. Elroy's Fine Foods is located in Monterey, California, offering the most delicious prepared foods, curated groceries, certified organic produce, a full-service bulk food section, fine cheeses, natural wines, local beers, and humanely raised meats and sustainably caught seafood. Elroy's Fine Foods, the uncommon market. 15 Soledad Drive, Monterey, California. Hello, and welcome to Contacts, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas from coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin Clunt.
Welcome back to Context. We are joined this morning by Brianne Smedley, elite performance coach for female athletes and head volleyball coach at Columbia River High School in Washington State. Coach, thanks for getting up early and getting on the mic with us today. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. Let's jump into this thing and you've got a couple different threads that you're working with coaching teaching side business that you're building into the real business but before we go down that route let's try to figure out how you got here so take us through your background as a coach how did you end up in the space and what was your process for landing your first coaching job after your playing career yeah, great question. Sometimes as coaches, we're like, how did I end up here? You know, we look back, um, how did I get myself wrapped up in all of this goodness? So my coaching career really, and the story of our business really started as a player. So I played a lot of sports, a lot of competitive sports growing up, like most coaches and volleyball was the one that really was my passion. So played throughout high school up here in Washington, played competitively, played club year round, and I was a pretty talented player. And on the inside though, I really struggled with the mental side of the game. And this will make sense in a little bit as I continue with this, but I was starting to get recruited my senior year of junior and senior year of high school to play in college. And by the time I was a senior and was again, playing a lot, I actually surprised everybody and decided to quit volleyball. I'm all done. I told everyone I was burned out and I didn't want to play in college and this was the end of my journey. So it's been a good ride. That wasn't actually the end, but I ended up going to school up here in Washington at Western Washington University. And I went to every single one of their volleyball matches and I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so good. They made it to the national championship that year. And I was like, I think I miss volleyball and I actually got an opportunity. I reached out to the coach and I told her my story. I'm like, is there just any way I'm just going to try and she was like, why don't you come right after they got done with their, their ride at the national championship, they hosted a tryout for me. And I was like, oh man. So I, I go try out. It was just me and the team did my thing left. And it was like, well, at least I tried. I put myself out there uh, she called me back a, a few days later and brought me into her office and was like, Hey, how do you think you did? I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. How do you think I did? And I'll never forget what she said. She was like, we thought you did awesome. And we want to offer you a walk-on spot on our team. And I was like elated, so happy. And it was a walk-on spot. And those of you that know, walk-on is a lot different than a scholarship athlete. Like I was low man, you know, coming in, I had to work my tail off, but honestly, I am so grateful that I got the opportunity to play at Western Washington university because Diane Flick, she runs a program that highly prioritizes the mental health and the mental training of her athletes. And that's really when I got a taste of mental training and kind of that side of the sport and that I could actually learn skills and confidence and mental skills was actually something that could be developed. And it's really not until looking back now that I see why I actually quit in the first place. And that was that I couldn't handle the pressure on the inside. I was like, I don't want to let people down. What if I go and play in college and I'm not that good. And now I'm like all these people that have these expectations for me, I can't live up to them. And it was just easier to quit than to deal with that later. Mm -hmm. So through this process of playing in college, by the time I was a senior, I was a full ride scholarship athlete. I was a starter. I was loving volleyball. I was enjoying it. I was playing the best volleyball of my career. 
So naturally, I graduated and um, went into teaching and coaching to serve other athletes and, and other students who were similar to me. And my first head coaching job was at a small town here in Washington on Whidbey Island, Coopville High School. And I basically was like, all right, here's your team. Here's your clipboard. Here's your whistle. And I was like, oh, I guess my head my actually my first before that, my first head coaching job, I was a club coach. I also coached club alongside everything. Yeah, I even coached club while I was in college. And anyways, I, I got into it and quickly realized that these girls also struggle with these same mental skills. Like they have talent and I can teach the volleyball skills, but why can't they serve in on game point? Or how come when we have a lead and then we lose, <laughs> how does this happen? You know, are these girls that are playing so well in practice and then they fall apart in a game? And these girls that like, I believe in you, I see your talent. I see your skills. Why don't you see that? Like, why don't you believe in yourself in the same way that I do? And I'm like, gosh, I'm seeing a mirror of myself right here in high school. And so I coached at that high school for a few years. And then my husband and I re relocated back to where we grew up here in Vancouver, Washington. We both became head coaches at Columbia River High School. So my husband is the head football coach and the head volleyball coach, which is a, a crazy combination, but fun. And even when I moved down here, I was like, oh, it's the same. I like kids are the same everywhere. And I need to figure out this mental side of it. This is what's hanging them up. So I sought out programs, training resources, and certifications in becoming an elite performance coach to learn the mental side of the game and really dive into like, how can we help equip athletes with these skills to perform under pressure, to believe in themselves, to come back from mistakes and not let one mistake turn into three, four or five. Now they're crying and mm -hmm. on the bench. And so I became this elite performance coach. And then as a result of that, my sister-in-law, this is where a crazy turn in the story. My sister-in-law, Christina, we both share a passion in empowering and enabling females and women. And so we joined forces to actually build a business out of helping female athletes cultivate confidence and mental skills in themselves on the court and off the court. So we started our business four years ago, and now we serve female athletes and their moms, and we help them with these skills of confidence, but also learn how to level up in their sport. And then we also serve the moms on how they can best support their athletes. And then we also serve coaches. So we know that coaches are like, how do I do this? We, I know it's the missing link, but how do I do this with my team? So that's where we are right now. Yeah. <laughs> There is so much that I want to follow up on, and this could be, this might have to be a two-part episode, but yeah. we're going to definitely dive in here and, and talk about a few things and weave it back in between the physical sport coaching that you do mm -hmm. and the mental coaching that you do that obviously transcends volleyball into these other spaces. So I want to talk about a few things and I'm going to weave back and forth, but first thing I'm curious about. Going from a high-level high school player, quitting, and then walking onto the team. And as you mentioned, you are at the bottom of the totem pole, yep. and you have to work your way up. Talk about that transition and what that did for your confidence to go from, hey, I'm really good, to, hey, I'm not at the bottom, and I'm just lucky to be here. Can you share that transition and what you learned from that experience that you were then able to translate into your own approach as a head coach. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Good question. Because it's the whole like big fish, little pond thing. And now all of a sudden I was like, Oh wow. I am way at the bottom here. And the thing, the thing about it is I'm so grateful that actually happened because it was my decision to join that team. Obviously the coach had a lot to do with it too, but meaning I was the one that was like, I am making this decision for myself. I, I want to pursue this. And so when I was offered that walk on spot, I was like, like you said, I'm just grateful to be here. I don't care if I am getting a scholarship. I don't care if I ever see the court. I am just happy to be able to play this sport again because I realized that I missed it. And I realized it was a big piece of me. And the thing that was holding me back wasn't that I didn't love the sport. It was the pressure that I was putting on myself. So if I can work through that and I can, you know, reframe that, then it's absolutely worth it for me to continue this sport. So while it was tough at the same time, it actually took a lot of pressure off of me because I wasn't the one that I didn't have the expectations on me. All I had to do was show up and work hard every day. And I was like, I can do that. And that did lead to becoming, by the time I was a senior, I was getting playing time and, and had that scholarship. But all I had to do was just, just work hard. And I was happy to do that surrounded by a team that, that I loved. And that also just shows that that mental shift is possible. It's all how you frame it. And so having that lens of like gratitude of I'm just grateful to be out here playing really does impact your experience. And it impacted my experience as well. Because every day I got to play was another day that I was happy and working towards my goals. So yeah, there is that. And then how that translates to being a head coach. And that's a great question because personally it impacts how I show up every day and it shows, you know, how my mental state and, and like what I choose to think about and how I choose showing up for these girls is really a lot in my control. And then also how I get to model that for the girls as well is is an important part of it. And just sharing that, I, I share that story with them often when we talk about roles and we talk about what your role is here and what you can do in practice to influence that. And how my role when I was a beginner was a blocking sub. If we know that I would go in and block and come out. And I was happy to do it. I was happy to be the blocking sub and be the practice player that made the starters better. And I think that story really influences the girls on my team who share that role right now. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really informative for a couple of reasons. One, you are able to put yourself in two different places, right? I've been the elite player and now I have beginner's mind and now I can empathize with everybody on my team and figure out where if you're just happy to be there, you probably play with a lot more reckless abandon yeah. than if you feel like you have to be X and you're worried about what the outcome is versus just being part of the process. So I think that probably was super helpful. The other thing that I'm curious about, because you mentioned you had coached club, you had done coaching, you had played at a high level, but now you're the, the new head coach at a school. From a volleyball perspective, not the mental coaching piece yet, and not even the tactical volleyball stuff, maybe it is tactical, but what did you realize when you took that first head job? And then when you moved to your next head job, that even though you had this background, you realized you need to figure out quickly or it was going to be a disaster. Oh my gosh, so much. <laughs> I don't even know where to start with that because you think, and I'm sure you hear this all the time. And as coaches, we know this, like you think I've played at a high level, like it should just come naturally. Coaching should come naturally. And it, it doesn't. And not every player is like me. And although I've had a lot of different, different experiences, being the beginner, being the high level player, 
my personality is different than every single one of my players. And like the way I receive feedback is different. And so I'm like, I have 36 girls here and they all need something different from me. (laughs) And I was like, how do I connect with them? So immediately I got into like trying to find like leadership resources, mental training, like things that I could do to connect with my players and figure out like, how can I get to know them and figure out what they need from me? Because this is not going the direction I want to, because not every person is like me. (laughs) And if I coach just how I want to be coached or how I was coached, we're not going to be successful. So that was, I think the thing I needed to figure out quickly. And it was the same. I got a system and going on my first head coaching job. And I was there for three years, I believe. And you know, so I really got to get some things in place. And what I saw was foundational and successful, even with like theater programs and getting the middle school athletes involved and just took that and replicated it at a bigger school where we are now. And it works the same way. It's like, we have to prioritize that connection with our players. We got to get, we have to get to know them. We have to work on the mental side of it. Coaches know this. Our, our list is very long when we, when we think about the hats that we wear. So, it, Yes. And you now... I don't want to say have upgraded because that's not fair because every situation is different, but from a size standpoint of school, from a program standpoint of just sheer numbers, moving from one place to another. And you said, we've got the system that we can replicate. I'm sure that in theory, that was a great idea. And then when you got to the new place, it was, you know, Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. What did you realize there that, oh, wow, I thought I had this figured out and no, I really don't. Now, the relationship piece is obviously front of mind. And it's funny, like you said, on all of these, very rarely is somebody like, yeah, I had to figure out the X's nose to be really good. No, it was like I, you said it. Every kid is different and I need to meet them where they are. So that's super important. And so in that transition, what didn't work anymore? And what is the best thing you do in your program? And you've already mentioned, obviously, I know what this is, but that you took with you and you will continue to take with you both into your business and if you end up coaching again. So what didn't work, the obvious thing. So I came from a school, it was one elementary, one middle, one high school town. And so there was like a natural progression, natural feeder, natural like pride there where I'm and now it doesn't have that. Like there's 50 elementary schools, there's 10 middle schools and they can go wherever for high school. And so just being like, okay, everybody, we're all going to have the same journey and same path. Like didn't quite work the same way. And that, so everything is just like bigger. There's a lot more processes and things aren't quite as simple when you're at a, a bigger school. There's like transfers and there's things like that happen. And so that was hard for me as a coach because it was like, oh man, we have to work harder to create this program of like unity and pride that people don't want to leave and want to come to, like they flock to because they want to be part of, of this because it's something special. Whereas at the other high school, it was like, you can't go anywhere else. <laughs> this is where you're going. And in that sense, you, I really had to, to I don't want to say work harder, work differently to Um, make sure that the culture was something that people just wanted to be a part of and never wanted to leave because they felt seen and felt heard and felt felt special. And so I I feel like that was a big one that, you know, I really had to reevaluate that when I moved. And then as far as what makes the program different and is that where the second one was? Yeah, it's you had to do it one way Mm -hmm. and you had to do it another way, better, worse, whatever, a little bit different tweaks here and there, something sustained. 
What have you settled on after years of doing this now and finding success, both as an athlete and now a coach, that regardless of your next stop, this is coming with me because it has such a large ripple effect on culture and success that no matter what we are doing X and here's why. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things, but obviously the one that comes to mind is, is equipping athletes with the mental skills and the confidence that they need to perform well in their sport. Because if athletes can do that individually, so they develop that deep sense of belief in themselves. So they trust themselves. They have the skills to overcome mistakes, challenges, failures, They know how to properly prepare for a match and deal with those nerves and play well. If they take care of that, our whole program is going to be strong. And we talk about like how powerful our thoughts are and how powerful our words are and our actions and the way that we talk about ourselves influences how we show up as a person and how we show up as a teammate. And we influence the energy around us and on the court and off the court. And so if we have these girls and I say 36 girls, because that's the size of our program with three teams. If we have 36 girls that are trusting themselves, believing in themselves, having like unshakable confidence in themselves, playing their best, playing free so that they know they can make a mistake. That's not the worst thing that's ever going to happen to them. Our program is going to be strong and united. And so that's where we start with those individual skills and equipping girls and also not just equipping them with the skills to navigate them, but also just allowing them to feel seen that like what they're facing is not unique because I know when I was an athlete, I was like, am I the only one that feels this like enormous pressure? Am I the only one that gets like so nervous before a game that like, I feel like I could throw up. Am I the only one that feels like if I make a mistake, I'm going to let everyone down. Mm -hmm. And I, the answer is no, like every single athlete at every level faces these things. But if we don't talk about it, athletes feel like they're alone in it. And they, they then are like, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to like hesitate. I'm not going to play my best. I'm going to just not do well. And it's just be easier for me to not go for that ball and be the one that makes the mistake than to go for it and be the one that made a mistake and let my team down. And so if we can, you know, really handle that with just the individual athlete and get her to believe in herself and give her not only that belief, but the skills to handle these situations, then we're going to be strong as a program. I love that. And we're going to press pause on that because, like I said, we're going to turn this into a two-parter and we're going to come back and we're going to actually teach some of this in a minute. However, you are in such a unique situation being married to another coach who's not a volleyball coach, football coach. And something I'm always curious about for our guests and just in general, other people that I work with that I'm come into contact with is this idea of sport discipline. So as a volleyball coach, are you going to get better by watching other volleyball coaches? Can you get better by watching other sports and then figuring out, oh, hey, that's transferable. And because we were talking before the podcast and you were sharing how last night was Friday night and you guys got home and you had to debrief the football game. What have you learned from coaches that are not in your sport discipline? What have you learned watching them practice, play, picking their brain Mm -hmm. that you have been able to apply to your own practice, both as a volleyball coach and as this performance coach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Yeah. And I'm really lucky because at the the high school at, at Columbia River, we have a network of coaches that are 
so strong. Like our programs are, are all really strong and the coaches are just amazing people. And then obviously I'm married to a coach, which there's pros and cons to that everybody. But one of the pros, yeah, last night as we were debriefing his game at two in the morning, I don't know if I actually remember most of that. We, we talk, we talk sports like nonstop. And I, I guess I shouldn't say sports, but we talk coaching nonstop and how to get the most out of our kids. And I have learned a lot from my husband. I know he's learned a lot from my program and our programs do a lot of, of similar things. One thing that I've learned from just watching Brett's program, coaching football, just the type of, of coach that he is, he just greatly influences his athletes just by the energy that he brings to practice. And I know this is something really simple, but like he is, he's a lot more, I don't know, demonstrative than I am. Like he's very, he gets hyped. He, he's like all about like just celebrating his athletes and focusing on the good, which we know is important. But then as coaches, we're trained to see the negative. Like we're trained to correct and criticize. And, and sometimes our athletes don't see it like that. They're like, Oh, can you tell me something that I did well? And just learning from him and just knowing that like we have as coaches, we have an enormous impact on the energy and how our, our players perform and just in how we show up. And so like when I watch him at practice or watch him on the sidelines, I'm like, dang, he like, he's really moving the trajectory and the energy of this game, just in how he is like interacting with his players. And I just feel like that can't be like something that's overemphasized because sometimes we think we don't have much control, but we do just in like our mindset and how we decide to show up regardless of what happened in our day. And also sharing with our athletes. I'm not at my best today, but I'm giving you my best. And I've learned that a lot just from watching him. Important takeaway there. You can control the energy in your space. You are responsible for that. That's a controllable aspect, right? Versus some of these other things that may not be right. Mm -hmm. You get hit by a car on the way to practice. Can't control that. But how do you respond? How do you show up for your athletes? And how can you watch other people who are the model of that and learn, steal, implement? So thank you for sharing that because I think it's something that's often underrepresented. And what you just said is as coaches, we're trained to see the negative and I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think we're wired in a way that we're always trying to get better. So our focus is where can I move the needle versus, hey, I did this really well, pin, get back to how we can get better, which right, comes exactly. across to the athletes as I'm terrible and I can never do it. So I think that uh, you mentioning that and the transformation that has for athletes is super important. And I hope people are able to grab that from listening. Let me ask this question, and you've already touched on it a little bit, but I wonder if there's a few tangibles, maybe even just one that you can point to that's when I started coaching, this was my approach. And as I've grown and matured as a coach, this is now how I handle these things and, and, and the way in which you, your approach has changed or evolved. Is there something you can really point to that says this has been really transformational, not just for me, but for people in my circle that the way we grew up was different. And it's not that the kids are different, but the research and the evolution has proven that this is the approach that we should have these days. Yeah, I almost am embarrassed at my first. <laughs> 
first year coaching. And I, I hear that's like a good thing, but I do wish I could do that over in a lot of ways. When I first started coaching was just very no nonsense. I can just still, okay. Like it's still part of me, but to the point where it was like, not really understanding. I, I feel like when I look back, I, I would be interested to talk to those athletes now that they're gosh, <laughs> almost yeah, 25, 20, 28 years old now. But it was like, there was no, I don't want to hear your excuse. Like you weren't a practice on time. There is no excuse possible that you could tell me that would make that. Okay. I didn't want to hear it. Like you forgot you didn't wear the right shirt. Nope. I don't care if whatever happened, like you, you need to make sure that should be your number one priority is making sure that shirt makes it into your bag. And I'm like, looking back, I'm like, why did I do that? Because I had this expectation that like this program, high achieving programs, we all look the same. We all act the same. We were very disciplined. You fold your stuff and you put it here. Like you can't have stuff and take care of your space. And I agree with that. We should be disciplined. We should take care of our space. But my approach to holding that expectation for my players was pretty negative. It was like, if you didn't do this, there was a consequence. So it was rather like people were constantly missing the mark me rather than calling them up to like getting them bought into this is why we want to do this and allowing the ownership to be on them to hold themselves accountable to we want to take care of our space and we want to be disciplined to remember these things and so over the years I don't want to say oh I've just become more soft but I think for me I've become a lot more understanding empathetic of like where players are coming from and like that they have so much on their plates and remembering the shirt might not be as important as like that fight that they had last night with their parents. At our school, we we have IB program and these girls are taking eight classes and playing club and playing high school and they're getting three hours of sleep. And so I'm like, okay, that needs to be taken care of rather than, okay, you were late to practice everyone on the line. It's okay. Hey, you know what happened? Like why? And just building that connection because that's when that understanding comes from. And that's when the player's like, okay, she cares about me. And I want to be on practice. I want to be on time because this matters to me. Not, oh, I don't want to make the whole team run. And yeah, like I said, I, I'm like, gosh, why did I do that? But now I feel like the girls are still on time. They still wear the right shirts. They still take care of their space, but it's because they have ownership over it and they have standards for themselves. And we're prioritizing the connection and it's not perfect. I would not say that, but I have drastically changed my approach to how I handle those things. Yes. And I think the key takeaway there that I heard was the ownership transfer from the coaches to the athletes. How do you teach that? How do you put the student at the center of the equation versus us as the adults? Not being soft, but becoming empathetic. And it's funny because it's a common theme. And you said, oh, wow, my first players are now 28, 29, 30. And if they came and watched me now, they'd be like, coach, you're soft. And it's no, I've actually learned to listen to my athletes, which I didn't have that skill when I was coaching you and I'm sorry. And it's funny. It is a common refrain on the show. And the offering is for anybody that's young getting into this is there are things going on outside of the two hours that you are with these athletes that are probably more transformational than what you're doing. And how do you meet them where they are? So I love that answer. And I think it's, as you said, a good thing that you can realize that if you didn't, it would probably be a little bit more concerning. Right. I have one more question, and then we're going to pivot into the, the performance coaching piece that I'm chomping at the bit for. And, I, and I'm going to frame it a couple different ways. What advice would you have for your younger self? 
which we just covered, so it might not even be relevant. And what have you most recently changed your mind on from a coaching standpoint, which is I used to believe X and now I'm over here and here's why, because I don't think we all reflect in the way in which we should just to question our belief system. And it could be about X's and O's. It could be about interactions. It can be about studying, whatever. But just if you think about that question, what can you point to that it's, you know, I used to believe this and I don't anymore. And here's why. Hmm. That's a great question. I, advice for younger self, I would add on to, actually this advice, another coach gave me early, earlier on in my coaching career, but I wish I would have actually taken it to heart was to focus on like the 80, 20, 80% of, of the people who you're starting. And I'm talking like parents and and players and stuff are going to be like on board with what you're doing. And it's gonna be great. And there's gonna be 20% in any situation where they're not, and that is okay. Like it's okay to have people who don't like you. It's okay to have people who differ from your personality and your opinion. And there's going to be people who just, they want to complain because they want to complain and to not take those things to heart and to focus on the 80% instead of the 20%. And so I would get hung up as a young coach. I would like, couldn't sleep if I got an email that was even like slightly critical of something that I was doing. And I would go back and be like, ugh, it's drop in the bucket. There's other stuff going on with that parent too. And just come out of a place the same way you do with your players now, like with empathy. And they just want to, a lot of times parents just want to be seen and heard and to not take it personally. So I would tell that to my younger self as well. And I'm still even working on that a little bit. What did I used to believe that I don't believe now? That is such a good question. I know that there's an answer that like in a couple hours, I'll be like, that's what I should have said. (laughs) Hold on it then. I'm going to give you a little more time to think. And I'm going to tell you where it came from. And maybe this will jog something. And again, it doesn't even have to be coaching related. It can be about parenting. Who knows? But it's. I'm on a bike ride and I'm listening to this guy, Dave Stahoviak, and he asks it at the end of every one of his podcasts. It's called Coaching for Leaders. And I get home and I run into the house and I'm super excited about it. And I'm like, wife, daughter. And they're just like, I, I, I don't know. And then I read this book called Think Again by Adam Grant over the summer, which is really just about reexamining your belief system. And he gave this analogy. He's like, hey, if you walked in and you saw your husband using Windows 95 on his computer, you would ask him, what are you doing? Like, you know, there's like this new system. Yet, if he was spouting out some belief that he acquired in 1995 and his opinion hadn't changed in 30 years, you would be like, cool, no problem. Yeah, you sound really grounded in that. And it makes a ton of sense. What's the difference? Like, why are we not reevaluating that? So it's more along the lines of we should all be reconsidering our belief system daily. So whatever fits into that, I think are just offerings, no matter how trivial you might think they are, that land for people to begin this process of self-reflection. Yeah. Akash, yeah. When you say it like that, there actually are, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things, but I went overarching and hopefully this isn't too broad, but my mind has changed that there's like a set path and that you need to follow the set path. I had a belief about go to college and then get into teaching and coaching. And that's all you can be is like a teacher and a coach. And that becomes your identity. And I think you could probably relate with this too. When I started the business, it was like this, like almost like imposter syndrome. Should I be doing this? This is 
in alignment with what I'm doing, but it's a little different. What are people going to think differently of me? Or like, who is she to think that she could all, like run her own business? And so I've changed my mind that you can change your mind about things and that you can, I know that's meta, but like you can change your path. You can change your mind. And if something is moving in a, tra- a, a direction that you don't like, you can change it and that's okay. And that's part of life. And you don't have to stay stuck in something either that isn't serving you at the moment. And that there's like seasons in life where, you know, like at that season in my life, this is what I was doing. And, and just because maybe I'm not choosing to do that anymore, doesn't mean that that wasn't a valuable piece of who I am now. So I know that might be a little broad, but I have changed my mind about being able to change your mind. <laughs> so I think that's the key. And you said to me earlier that you have a four month old. I just put my eldest in college a week ago. And when they become teenagers, whatever you say or do that might be out of alignment, they're going to call you names and try to take you to task for it. And what you just said, I think, is the, the important piece. There are seasons and you can change your mind. And it doesn't mean you're a hypocrite. It means that mm-hmm. you've reevaluated. And right. here is what's important now, even though this used to be what made sense. And I think that's such an important nugget, not just for our coaches, but for anyone listening, that you can change your mind. Today is a new day. I can start over. I don't have to wait till January 1st for my New Year's resolution. So thank you for sharing that. Like I said, you may think it's trivial, but people that want to read between the lines, they can get that out of that. So thank you for sharing that. And it's a perfect transition into where can people find you? If I wanted to call you up, well, I already have your contact information. But if somebody else wanted to call you up and say, hey, look, I'm struggling with this. Can you come help? Where can they find you? How can they get in touch? What services do you offer that people would definitely want to tap into? Yeah. So we've created a a little page just for, for your listeners. So if you go to christinabrand.com slash contacts and We'll put that hopefully in, in the show notes so that it's easily clickable. But on there, I'll throw the uh, visualization package in there that coaches can easily use with their team. So there's three visualizations, a pre post and like a relaxation visualization that athletes can just like press play or coaches can press play for their athletes or even just send to their athletes that they can have like on their devices, just as something that they can do like pre-competition, post-competition, something that they need to relax. So that is a gift from me to you. And then you'll also find how you can work with us. Our signature program is called the elite competitor program. And we bring individual athletes through that program, but we also bring teams through the program as well. And we've worked with a lot of teams and it's a special experience when a whole team goes through that program. It's a combination of a course and also live support from me and from Christina. And then when teams go through, they get a, a little special meeting with me. We do a strategy session with the coaches on what their team needs. So you can find information about the elite competitor program on there as well. My Instagram is Bree Smedley and that is on there also. So I provide some, some tips that is geared towards like moms and coaches of female athletes. My Instagram is for that. So, yeah. So thank you for being here today. I appreciate you taking the time. This was awesome and looking forward to further conversation. This yes, podcast thanks for having me on. This is great. <laughs> as coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach. 
and he's never turned down an Each Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It is a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. I've been using Element Recharge for the last few months after hearing about it on another podcast, and since then, I've stocked up on boxes and boxes. I usually use it one to two times per day. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your very best. Plus, it has zero sugar, artificial ingredients, or other junk you simply do not want. Speaking of performance, the best performers in the world use Element. I'm talking about Team USA Weightlifting, NBA teams, NFL teams, and Navy SEALs. The list goes on. Element can expand your limits too. Want more energy while low-carb dieting or intermittent fasting? Want to crush that next workout? Or want to just be ready for the next workday? Element has the electrolytes to make this happen. And with eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one that will satisfy your taste buds. They just released their latest flavor, Grapefruit, and it has quickly become one of my favorites. Element came up with a fantastic offer for us. Just go to drinkelement.com slash Justin to claim your eight-count free sample pack. 